This week, our reading is from Psalm 119, verses 137 through 160. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Good morning. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at verse 16. We are about to, we are one week away from ending our study of the Ten Commandments together. And then we will move on to the book of Jonah. This is the last one that I'm preaching uh, to you because Jimmy's going to take up the mantle next week and I'm excited to hear from him as he talks about what it looks like to not covet. So since it's my last one in the series, I get to do this. I get to review the whole point of the series real quick with you, right? Before we start and what this looks like, I'm going to scoot back because I am in Kendall's lap. Okay. Um, but yeah. So with that... We've been talking about what it looks like to delight in the law of the Lord. That the whole point of this series, why study the Ten Commandments like we have been doing as a New Testament, New Covenant people, is we want to see that the Ten Commandments give to us the heart of God. And we start to see what, as he reveals himself to his people at Sinai and makes this covenant with them, that he shows them this is who I am and therefore this is who I want you to be. You're going to look different than the world does because you're going to have just one God instead of many gods. You're not going to bow down to false idols. You're only going to bow down to me. You're not going to take my name in vain, but you're going to lift it up as holy. You're going to take one day every week and you're going to make that holy and sanctifying to me. You're going to honor your parents. You won't kill people. You won't commit adultery. You won't steal, 
You will not bear false testimony. And you won't even covet. These are the things that he reveals to them. He says, these are the kind of people that I want you to be. And while we have talked all throughout this, the things that have changed in the new covenant under Christ, as we have seen the reality of God's law that we cannot obey it, we see that we might say, oh, I'm not an adulterer, but Jesus says, if you've ever lusted in your mind, or I'm not a murderer, but Jesus says, if you've ever been angry at your brother, you think, ah, oh, I don't steal stuff, you've probably stolen something of time or something from your boss. We see the reality that we don't measure up to the law, that the law cannot save us, but we need the grace of Christ to save us. But we've also looked to see that while we cannot save ourselves, that when we come to know Jesus, he changes the heart and he helps us to delight in his word and his character. We're people who do want to, instead of murder and be angry, make peace. Instead of be adulterous, be selfless. Instead of steal, we want to be generous. And this morning what we want to see is instead of bearing false testimony, we want to speak what is true. And so the last three weeks in particular, we've kind of followed this pattern of talking about the command, how we don't live up to it, how Jesus alone saves us and rescues us. But then we talked about what it looks like to put off those things. We looked at Colossians 3, what it means to put on the opposite, right? So instead of getting angry, we want to put on peacemaking. Instead of stealing, we want to put on generosity. So I'm just going to hit that at the front this week and take a little bit of a different tactic. Instead of saying what is untrue and false, instead of bearing false witness, we want to speak the truth. Through Christ and what he does when he changes us and changes our hearts, we're able to put off the old self and put on the new one. But I want to ask this question of our text and, and of us today is, why should we speak the truth? Why is it so important? Why does it literally make the top 10 for us as God's people to speak what is true, to not bear false testimony against your neighbor? That is the ninth command in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So that's what I'm going to set up to do. I want to give us three reasons that we should speak the truth. And the first is this, is we speak the truth for the sake of a godly reputation. We speak the truth for the sake of a godly reputation. When this command is given, I believe the context that he's talking about to this corporate group of people is a courtroom. He's saying you shall not bear false testimony. You shouldn't give a false testimony or false witness against your neighbor, particularly when you are in court. You can take and just realize there, there's no forensics, no forensic scientist back in the desert as they're making their way to the promised land. And there won't be for a very long time. There aren't smartphones everywhere recording information that they can look at, security cameras the very bedrock of their judicial system would be eyewitness accounts. That's how they could know what is true or settle disputes between people is you have to bring in other witnesses who could testify to the truth of what is happening. And the reality is, is the uh, effectiveness of that system rests upon the honesty of your people. See, if the individuals giving testimony cannot be trusted, then that system is going to break down really, really fast. 
there's no way to know that we're actually telling the truth. And so there's this need in the culture, in the society, to have a good and godly reputation so that you could be trusted. It was so heavily guarded that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, it gives these stipulations for bringing witnesses in court. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in a connection with any offense that he has committed. So it's not enough to just get one person. You have to have multiple witnesses against somebody. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or even of three witnesses shall a charge be established. But listen to this. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. And the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he has meant to do to his brother. So you shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It is life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. What this means is that this reality was deadly serious. If a court hearing was brought together, and the outcome of that were to be negative for the defendant, and that outcome was going to be death, if you lied about the death of somebody else, if you lied to put them on death row, what was supposed to happen to you is you would be killed. The society and the culture around you would kill you. If you meant to to incite some kind of payment from them, you would now have to make that payment. This is harsh. This This is like the real deal kind of stuff. Today, if you commit perjury, which is lying under oath in a courtroom kind of setting, you can face up to five years in federal prison or various fines, just depending on the nature of the case and the severity of your your testimony and how unfalse or untrue it is. When we're brought into this courtroom, even today, even with the other things that we have help us, like forensics, like cameras, we still see that there is a huge need to guard the truth, to make sure we're getting the right thing, to make sure that we keep our society reputable and we speak what is true. At the same time, I don't think this command only applies to the courtroom. I think when we look at things like the Eighth Commandment of not stealing or the Tenth Commandment, which looks next week, of not coveting, we're talking about any kind of lying. So whether you lie to steal or lie because you just want something else or lie in court, the Ten Commandments are saying God's people will not be a people who are a lying kind of people. During the course of the pandemic, I found myself in this uh, very stressful kind of state all of the time, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who was stressed out during that time, particularly around the issue of this, what am I supposed to do? Right? Just this constant reality of not knowing what the right thing to do was. Am I supposed to like wear a mask in this sitting? Do I get this vaccination? Do I go to this thing? Can I be around these people? Okay, I I can be around 10 people, but I'm not 11. Apparently the 11th person will kill us all. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. I'm just trying to listen. I'm a natural rule follower. Just give me the rules and tell me what to do. That's what I wanted to do. And so what we started to do, what I did and what I think you did is we started to look for the resources that, that would tell us and guide us to some kind of truth. And so we went to some news 
outlet or we went to, to a, a doctor or some kind of, uh, hopefully, like some kind of medical thing. Or we went to our favorite YouTuber and blogger because even those crazy conspiracy theories started to sound reputable after a while because the world was just crazy and we listened to it. And here's the thing that I'm trying to land on. You had to make decisions. You had to make decisions. It was not a situation where any of us could just like wait it out because it was like, This is going to be life for years and still is. You have to make a call. So what do you do when you don't know what to do, but you have to do something? You go to whatever system, whatever thing in your life had proved to be reputable up to that point, and you trusted it. For good reason, for bad reason, that's not the point of this illustration. You had to put your trust in something, And that's why reputation matters. Because the microcosm that happened during the pandemic happens around you all the time. There are people all around you in your life who just need to do something. They just want to know, what is the right thing to do? I have to make decisions. And they're looking for places that are going to have answers. And they're going to go to the places for whatever reason it is good or bad, that they find to be the most reputable. What has the best reputation, and that's what I'm going to trust. They may make a good decision in that, and they might make a terrible decision in that, but they will make a decision. And what I want, what I want you to want as Christians who have the truth that leads to eternal life, is I want you to want that influence. I want you to desire to be the person that they go to. Because it is happening. It might not be as big as a global pandemic, but people are looking for the truth. They want to know, what am I supposed to do? They've got to make everyday real decisions. They struggle with parenting your children just like you do, and they don't know what the right thing to do is. They're at their wit's end just like I am. They want to know, what am I supposed to do in my marriage, just like you do? What's the right thing to do? They want to know, how do I deal with the conflict with my parents? They want to know, what do I do when my boss is a jerk? They want to know, what is the right thing to do? They're going to go somewhere to get that answer. My prayer is that we would be a people for the sake of a godly reputation that live in such a way that people know we speak the truth. That we have, as weak as they might be sometimes, we do have some answers to some of those problems. God's word guides us and directs us, or we can at least say, I don't know what to do, but I know a place where there's a lot of other wisdom and a lot of other people who are trying to figure it out too. They meet every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, And it's an imperfect place, but they speak the truth there. You want to come and find the truth? I know where the truth is. Won't you come with me? That's my desire for us. This is why it's so important that we learn to speak the truth. However, this command isn't just concerned with our reputation, but also with the reputation of others. So we also need to speak the truth for the sake of others. When we look at the second half of the command, it's do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. 
And we can know if you've read your Bible uh, well, you know your neighbor isn't just the person who lives next door to you, but your neighbor is anybody that you interact with. Anyone in your life that you spend time with and you get to know, that is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. We are not to bear false testimony against our neighbor. When we do that, we commit something called slander. Leviticus 19.16 expands on the law and says this, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Slander is simply to say something that's not true to defame or bring down another person. Slander is when we lie about somebody else to make them look bad, usually to make us look good. These are the kinds of things that happen. And we are to be a people who don't do this. In Ephesians 4, 29-32, it tells us the same thing, but then tells us who we are supposed to be. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's what we're supposed to do. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ and God forgave you. We cannot be a people who slander someone in the courtroom or on the street or in the court of public opinion. When we speak the truth, we also need to make sure that we speak the truth about others. Now, I think when we get to this point, we get to the ninth command, we can start to feel like, yeah, but it's really that big of a deal, right? I didn't kill anybody. I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't steal anything. Like, those three really seem to be a problem. Is it really that big deal if I just mis-exaggerate when I recount a story and it makes somebody else maybe not look quite as good? Or I change the inflection, right? Like, they said, man, it really looks like the Rosentreders could use some help with their kids. But when I told the story, it was the Rosentreders really could <laughs> use some help with their kids, Right? That's slander. Is it that big of a deal? I mean, we're just sitting around the water cooler. It's not, it doesn't matter. Well, this is what the Bible says about the misuse of our tongue. In James chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we're going to pick up actually halfway through verse 5. It says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's talking about your tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. That sounds pretty serious to me. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Think back to that passage in Ephesians. See, we're meant to give grace to everybody who hears, not tear down, not bring down people in the body and curse other people. Picking up again, verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He then asks these questions. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from the above. Listen, this is where slander falls into this category. Our speech falls into this. Listen to what he calls it. The kind of speech that does not honor and glorify God, that does not come from the place of love, is this. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Giving in to jealousy and selfish ambition, slandering another person to put them down, to exalt yourself, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is fierce, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Want to know a secret? It is easy to kill a church. You know how you kill a small church plant? Slander. If I fail morally, our church will probably go under. You as the members bite and devour one another in slander. We won't make it. You want to kill a small church? Give in to slander. That's the reality. You want to hurt your small group? Talk bad about your small group leader when he's not around. You'll kill it. It's easy. Not hard to kill a small church. All it takes are some misplaced words. All it takes is jealousy and selfish ambition to creep up into your heart create factions and divisions within the church. It's like we recruit armies when we start a war. Who's on my side? Who's on your side? But you want to see your church grow and thrive? You want to see people's lives be changed? Have the wisdom from above that is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It doesn't say get along all the time. It doesn't say never have a disagreement. It doesn't say never have a problem. It says when you're having those problems, be peaceable, be impartial, think through, be open to reason, be gentle with one another, be full of mercy. Think the best rather than the worst. Don't assign motives to other people, but instead inspect your own heart. You can burn the place down with your tongue. Or, or we can build the place up when we edify one another by speaking the truth in love. Because what are we supposed to do when slander starts? And it will start. What are we supposed to do when gossip begins? We speak the truth for God's glory. And that's our third reason this morning. Why should we be a people who speak the truth? Because we want to be a people who look out, who want to see God's reputation magnified. We speak the truth for the sake of God's glory, the sake of his 
reputation. There are two ways that we ultimately do this. When we speak the truth, we build up the church, which I've already alluded to, and we become a witness to the world. So we bring God glory and honor by building up the church and the people within the church and by being a witness to the world. First, I want us to look at what it looks like to build up the church and, and the role of speaking the truth and how it does that. Ephesians four fifteen through 16, after telling us to walk in unity and not to be divided, Paul says this. He says, instead of being carried away by, by devious teaching and, and, and false doctrine, he says, rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It is the responsibility of pastors and leaders to ensure that we equip the saints for the work of ministry, to ensure that pastors and leaders are building up the whole body. But listen to what he says there. Whose job is it to make sure that we're building one another up in love? He says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's every member's responsibility to see our third church grow and thrive. That's the covenant that we make together when you become a member of our church. You promise that you're gonna be dedicated to peacemaking in that community section. You make promises to maintain and make meaningful relationships. See, if we do that, we will shine like a city on a hill. We'll grow and we'll thrive and this will be a lovely awesome place built up in love if we do what the Bible tells us to do, if we delight in God's law and not our own law, if we love to speak the truth and hate falsehood, the Lord will use this in an incredible and awesome way. These commands still speak to us because they show us the very heart and character of God. And when we are a people bound together in love, who are different ages and stages in life, who, are, who have families, who are single, and, and who are uh, from a different background, maybe ethnically or socioeconomically, and we see that happen. The world looks at that, and the world says, what is going on? Because the world can't do that. The world can't get along multi-generationally. They can't get along in any kind of context where there's differences. But, but oh, the beauty of the body of Christ is we do see that happen. And it has been happening not just now. For thousands of years, the body of Christ has been doing this. But it's because we have to be a people who are committed to speak the truth in love so that we all might grow up in every way into him. And when we do that, the world will look and see that we are different. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said this as our marching orders in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to speak the truth. We cannot bear false witness because we have been told to be a witness to the greatest truth that has ever hit humanity. And that's you can be forgiven of your sin before a holy God because Jesus died in your place and rose again from the dead. And that's the witness that you get to be 
We don't bear false witness. We bear witness to the truth. I think the most misquoted, actually, my kids were watching a TV show. Bluey did it. They misquoted it. They took it way out of context. When it comes to setting the truth and what it does, right, the truth will set you free. They take it out of context because they mean, like, I don't know. If you just tell the truth, everything will work out well for you. Maybe. But let's actually read what Jesus says. In John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. And remember, my point is this. We speak the truth so we might be a witness to the world. What truth is he talking about? Because it is a very particular one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, verse 31, John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What is he talking about? What are they being set free from? What are they doing? And they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Listen, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So what are they enslaved to? They're enslaved to sin. What are they free from? What is the truth setting them free from? Their own sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So the son sets you free. You will be free indeed. What is the truth that Jesus is referring to in John chapter 8? When you piece it all together, you look at the entirety of the chapter, it is that he is the son of God. Come to set his people free, but free from their sins. That we can only be made right through him and him alone. He is the great I am. He is one with the Father, part of the Trinity. He lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death. He rose again from the dead and he is coming back for his people, for those that he has set free, those who have believed the truth. For all who did receive him, in John chapter 1, it tells us he gave them the right to become children of God. God. For all who received him and believed in his name, he gave them the right that they might be children of God. So no, we're not saying if you just tell the truth, then everything will happen. Sometimes when your kids tell you the truth, they're still going to get disciplined. And that's okay, and for our good. And that's what real repentance looks like. Real repentance says, I will take the consequences for my actions. That's how real life works. But the truth that we are sinners who can only be saved by the Savior, Jesus, that's the truth that will set you free. That's the truth that we are told in Acts 1-8 that we are given to bear witness to. We are not a people who bear false witness. We are a people who bear the truth. So why are we to speak the truth? Because in a similar way as we read in Deuteronomy, we looked at the ancient world that this was a life or death issue. It is still a life or death issue. Eternity is on the line. When we talk about sinning before a holy God and how we will stand for him and be made right before him, it is only through the truth that Jesus is his son who died for us and made that possible. See, if we are not people, if we work backwards through this, 
who want to speak truth for the glory of God and for the sake of God's reputation, to lift his name high and to be a witness throughout all the world and to see people built up within his church so that they will know that we are his disciples because of our love for one another. If we are not that kind of people, we won't be the kind of people. Instead, we'll slander others. We won't be people who are concerned for the reputation of others to make sure that we're representing people in a right and true way, which eventually then means they will find out and you will not be a person of good reputation, of godly reputation, which then means you cannot bear witness to the truth and be taken seriously. The world won't look at our life and say, I want what they have. I want to be led to the truth. If we are a people who conceal the truth rather than reveal the truth. But if we are that people, if we are the people who for the sake of God's glory speak the truth even when it's hard, even when it requires us to confront or be uncomfortable even when we know, if I admit to this, I'm going to have to endure some punishment. We speak that truth anyway. For the kind of people that people know, you can trust them. They won't betray you. They're not a slanderer. They're, they're a good and kind friend. They're the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother. They're not going to use your confessions against you. They want to love you and they want to build you up and they will speak truth and love to you because they're going to come around you and they care about you. Then you will be a person who has a godly reputation. You will be a person who God can utilize in greater and greater ways to bear witness to the truth, the truth that will set people free. That he has given the right to everyone who has received him and believed in his name to be children of God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's how the gospel radically changes our understanding of how we utilize our words and how we tell the truth. The good news is we are saved by grace and grace alone. And as you hear this preach, this text preached, as I prepare it, I fail. We were hanging out with a group of guys on a Thursday morning, and one of the guys said, I don't know if we should be talking like this. And I was like, man, you're right, and I gotta go talk about this on Sunday morning. I failed. But the right thing to do in that moment isn't to push back and say, no, 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 let's justify all the ways that this is okay. The right thing to do is to say, you're right. This is wrong. Let's stop. Let's repent. Let's move on. That's what happened. See, everybody fails the Ten Commandments. No one upholds these perfectly, and you're going to fail them again. But Jesus has died for sin. He has died for all of our sin. And he has set you free. He has set you free particularly to obey. I pray that as we wrap up next week and you consider the Ten Commandments that you would learn to delight in the Word of God, to delight in his commands, to see that they're not burdensome, but instead they are light and they will make life better. And I pray that when you fail them, you will rejoice that you have a Savior who has already forgiven you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins so long as we confess our sins. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and kind God, and I thank you for all the ways that you love us and care for us. 
Lord, help us be people who want to speak the truth and say what is right and good. God, help us change and be more like you. Lord, we, we recognize our, our failings and our, our limits and, and the law of God when we just look at it, it weighs so heavy and the gospel can bring that relief. But Lord, I, I, I also just, I pray that we want to be holy. Change us, change me, that we want to do what is right. Change our hearts, God, that our joy and our delight is found in Jesus and his ways. That we're not just trying to earn a gold star or be self-righteous, but rather we know that our righteousness is in Christ and in Christ alone. We want to live a life that brings you honor and glory because we love you, because you have first loved us. So fill us with a love of God and change us. Make us humble. Make us malleable to the word of God. And make us a people who want to speak the truth. I ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.